We have the special privilege today of continuing to engage our spiritual journey through a conversation and a discussion on the story of Christmas. And so we're going to transition into that right now. And like we mentioned a few weeks ago, this this time of year, this series specifically on Christmas, is a unique one because we get to hear from different leaders in our wider ethnos family uh, from around the world. A few weeks ago, we had somebody named Gonzalo come up and share with us. Uh, many of you were here for his sharing, and it was a powerful time of hearing his story about God coming into his life. Uh, last week, I shared a little bit. You got to hear from me. And then this week, we get to hear from yet another one of our leaders from the wider Ethnos uh, family, but this guy comes from just across the way. He actually comes from East Brunswick, uh, and starting in 2020, September 2020, uh, Hoon Kim and his team will be starting a new faith community there called Anthem, and they will be helping people just like us in Middlesex County to connect with God and find God through Jesus. And so, I'm really excited that Hoon is here today to guide this conversation. Uh, he has a fascinating story, a fascinating journey, and a real unique relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you to open up your hearts and minds to him, whether you're young or old, youth group over there, definitely listen to Hoon. He's got a bunch of teenagers too, so he knows how to talk to you all. And so, hey, let's give it up for Hoon. Let's give him a warm welcome here this morning. All right, wow. Um, when we do this, well, uh, well, I'm getting my, dude, this is so heavy. This is when I'm getting uh, settled in. Uh, when we just hug the person next to us, just tell them, Merry Christmas, man. This is so good. And by the way, I'm so encouraged by you, Khan. Um, it's such a pleasure to, to know that your mom is here. And um, one of the reasons I'm so encouraged by you, Khan, is that I feel like one of your gifts is just encouragement. And uh, even your name, like, you can, you know? Uh, now I was thinking, like, what if your mom called you, like, you cannot? No, that would be terrible, right? But it's you can. You know, you can is one of those guys that whatever you uh, bring to him, he, he just encourages you and just so grateful for you and this church. Um, Hey, I want to talk today about this idea of Christmas, and in the context, I just want to give you some encouragement for your life. If you guys have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 8. Uh, Romans is a letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament to this church in Rome, uh, which uh, for me is kind of like a cool thing. I grew up in Italy. Uh, my family has been in Italy for 46 years. I grew up in Rome first, Romans, and uh, then in Milan. And uh, part of my story is that I grew up uh, in a kind of like a, a healthy, uh, prosperous family. And because of that, um, you know, I was sent to a school in Pennsylvania, and then I just started doing a, like a lot of drugs. And uh, yeah, uh, so uh, I'm preaching. And <laughs> I, uh, I, got, I got into heavy stuff. I was a heroin addict for a while. And the way I got out of drugs is uh, I was at Lehigh University. And uh, on my way back to um, my uh, fraternity, uh, this random guy said, hey, Hoon, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, I'm probably going to get wasted. And uh, he was like, well, why don't you come to a retreat? And uh, I had no idea what a retreat was. Uh, I thought, you know what, that's probably where a bunch of people just get together and drink, drink beer and just smoke stuff. And so I went. 
And uh, I showed up to this place, and there's all these people just lifting hands and worshiping song, you know, worshiping God in song. And I was like, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And uh, that night, um, Jesus came into my life. Uh, I became a, uh, a follower of Jesus. And uh, the second night, uh, the preacher, this woman, said, hey, I want you to ask God for some of you uh, what God's will for you is. And I, I, I did. I asked God, uh, what do you want me to do? And he said, uh, you're going to be a pastor. And uh, that, that retreat basically changed my life. And it's a, it's a crazy story. But enough of me. Romans 8, uh, 31 and onwards. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. God, I pray that you would uh, encourage your people today. Father, that your spirit would fall upon this place. And for some of us that may not exactly know what that means, that in our hearts we would feel your very presence. And this thing that some people have called throughout centuries religion would in fact become today a relationship with you. And so, God, we invite you into this place. Would you bless us? Would you speak to us? And we lift this up in Jesus' name. Amen. It's Christmas, um, my favorite season. One of the things that the Old Testament uh, promised was that God was going to come. And his name is going to be Emmanuel. Emmanuel basically means God with us. And Jesus shows up in the New Testament. Um, he does incredible miracles. He lives 33 years he dies on the cross, and the gospel tells us that the reason why he lived and the reason why he died on that cross was to take away our sins, to defeat death, to bring peace back on earth. And Paul was one of those guys that heard about Jesus, and then he made it his life mission to tell all people that he knew about who this person Jesus is. And so he writes this letter that we call the letter to the Romans. And uh, I'm going to kind of unpack it for us today. And this is what I think is so amazing about this text that we're going to be looking at today. Is that in Romans 8, between verses 31 to 39, he asks five questions. And these are five rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is when you ask a question knowing the answer already. Right? So uh, I would say, who is the coolest pastor? And all of you would say, Yukon. Right? Because he's wearing vans. I mean, how many guys do you know? How many preachers wear vans, right? And uh, anyhow, uh, so let's begin. In Romans 8.31, this is what he asks the church. And he says, what then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what can be against us? That's a, that's a rhetorical question, and the basis for that question is really in Romans 8, uh, the 28th verse, where he says something like, um, God works together in all things for the good of those who love him. And that's Paul's way of saying, you know, God is absolutely in control of your life. He is what we call the king of all things, events, circumstances. The way that you, that you were born, the place you were born. He is, he is absolutely the king, and he is in control. And based on that, in verse 31, he asks a simple question. If God is for you, and he is a king, what can be against you? 
And the rhetorical question and the answer to that is absolutely nothing. Point number one is that Paul is trying to teach this, this new church in Rome that following God, the God that we have, means that you can live a life with, point number one, no intimidation. That's a crazy point. No intimidation. Why? Because God is in absolute control. He has, at, he has every little thing in your life structured and purposeful for good, for your own good. I, as I shared, I, uh, I grew up in Italy. I, uh, my dad, he moved to Italy when uh, um, I was one year old. So all my life, I'm 48 now. Uh, my mom just left Italy last year. And my dad, I think, was, uh, I think I had one of the coolest dads in the world. He was, he was successful. He was loving. Uh, but he was also a master in kendo. You guys, you guys know what kendo is? You guys can picture a samurai, right? So my dad, he was, oh, that's him. My dad was uh, the highest rank in the whole world for kendo. He, he coached the Italian national team, okay? And he would regularly beat people up with his sticks. And uh, uh, the, the cool thing that my brother and I, we grew up uh, with all these swords all over the house. I actually brought one. Uh, this is one of the swords that my dad uh, had in the house, right? It looks like a harmless wooden sword. We had these swords all over the house, right? And, and this explains why we have, my brother and I, so many issues. Um, and what happened was this. One day we were walking around Milan. Well, we were going to Milan, a very crowded city. And my dad, uh, we had to park, and all the streets were packed. I don't remember if it's because uh, uh, Italy won the World Cup. It was something like that. And as we get out of the car... We're walking. We have to kind of walk on the street, not on the sidewalk. And then this, uh, this guy pulls up in the car, kind of like inching really slowly in traffic. He honks the horn, lowers his window, because this was back in the 70s, right? Not the button. Right? He lowers the window, and he says something very racist. He says, get off the road, you fill in the blanks. My dad did not take that well. Right, so he reaches into his pocket, he takes out his, key, his keys, and he's like, bloop. I'm losing my voice, right? Bloop, bloop, right? And then the, the trunk opens up. And uh, we knew, my brother and I, we, we knew that he had sores all, you know, in, in the trunk. Uh, and so he goes back, he picks up one of these swords, he walks up to the car, he was stuck in traffic, and he starts tapping on the window with the hilt of the sword, right? And my brother and I were like, oh, no. This, this is so cool, right? Because we, we thought, we thought, we thought that we were, he was just going to kill people, right? So my brother and I, like, do it, do it. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys ever had that experience in growing up in high school where, where some people would come up to you and say, hey, my dad can beat up your dad, right? In the back of my head, my brother and I would be like, my dad will kill you, your family, and your Everyone in your family, and we'll be there watching, right? And the, re and the reason is because we had this dad that was bigger than life, right? And uh, it, it, we were so, uh, we grew up with, with kind of like uh, with this, this confidence in our lives because of, my, because of my dad. But my dad eventually got sick. Uh, he, uh, he had Alzheimer's. Right? He forgot who I was eventually. Uh, even when I used to FaceTime him, he would not recognize me. He got sick. A couple years ago, he passed away. 
And yet, I was looking at this text, and I was reminded that my dad maybe a, for a moment was a reflection of what your heavenly father really is like. Because in Romans, um, Paul is teaching this church in Rome that this God is your father. When Jesus came on earth, maybe one of the most uh, revolutionary teachings that he brought to, to people was, this, was that this God in the Old Testament that would you know, part the, the seas and do incredible things, Jesus came in and he said, you know what, you can relate to this God. And you can call him Father. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. All the people back then, they were, they were like, what are you talking about? This God, I can call him. And Roman, Romans, Paul says, in fact, you can actually call him Abba. Abba, Father. Daddy. In Italian, Papa. In, in, in Korean, Appa. Right? And you can relate to this God as, as your Heavenly Father. And Paul says, based on Romans 8, 28, if God is in control of all things, if God is for you and he's your father, what can be against you? Now, the reason why that is so important today is because, listen, I, I get it. You know, I have stuff going on in my, house, in, in my family. I am currently unemployed as I'm trying to plant a church. Uh, my son is sick today. Um, I'm sick. All of us may be going through maybe financial difficulties you may be going through difficulties with sickness. I don't know what it is, but the Bible says that Paul will just remind you today, if God is for you, what can be against you? That all these things that you and I are going through, God has an absolute plan for. I just want to encourage you with that. And he continues in verse 32. Uh, look at what he says. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, also with him, graciously give us all things? Now, Paul is going through a little bit of a, of a, of a, uh, of a mind exploration type of thing where he's asking, listen, there was a time when you did not know God, Romans, and you were an enemy of God because you were a sinner. And yet, even when you were a rebel, God gave his son on the cross, and through the blood of his son, he called you into his family, and now he can call him Abba Father. How much more now that you are his children will he not give you something? Will he not provide for you? If you were an enemy of the cross and God gave his son, will he not also now give you all things? You know, I... Uh, one thing I learned as I've been walking with God is that you know, there's a lot of things that I pray for. God, give me this. God, give me that. But one thing I learned is that God blesses us in what he gives us. But also God blesses us in what he withholds from us because God is good. You know, um, my, wife, he, uh, my wife works in Philly. She owns a diner. Uh, best grits, by the way, and uh, when she, whenever she comes back home, uh, my youngest son, this is what I noticed, my youngest son would run up to my wife, Shelly, and uh, he would just hug her so much, like a lot of hugging in, in such a way that I got a little bit jealous, right? A lot of hugging, and he would just not stop hugging. This one time, he was just hugging for like 30 seconds, 35 seconds, and I'm like, that is a long hug. <laughs> and then I realized that he wasn't just hugging, he was actually frisking my wife 
because my wife keeps her iPhone in her butt pocket, right? So she, he was, he was kind of like hugging, trying to find the phone, right? Now, uh, you know, we have, a, we have a little bit of an issue with our, with our children, and uh, we're not, you know, we're not the best parents. You know, we're good with some stuff, not good with other stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of ashamed to say today that my youngest has a little bit of a phone addiction, right? He loves to play those phones. You know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and yet, because we love our son, sometimes we will give him the phone. And other times, when we, when we think it's bad for him, we'll take the phone away from him. But that's what a loving family does. That's what a loving mom does. That's what a loving dad does. That's what a loving God does. He blesses you in the things that he gives you. And he also blesses you in the things that sometimes he withholds from you because he's good. He is in control of all things. But then, he would, Paul would say that even then, will he not graciously give you stuff when you ask him? That this is not a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the living dad of the universe. And you can ask him stuff. Now, I... Uh, I am so blessed specifically by the, uh, the underground church in China. I was learning a few things about the underground church in China. And um, uh, two of the leaders of the underground church in China, they, they came to the U.S. They, they were visiting uh, some mega churches, and they were explaining how the church grew in China. And uh, uh, this is what they explained. They took on these names, Peter and Barnabas, because they can't really use their real name. Because uh, the Chinese government actually sends uh, police out to find out where they you know, go and speak so that when they go back to China, they get arrested. So they took on these names, Peter and Barnabas. And they were explained to all these churches that the way the gospel spread in China was that they would go to a village. These two guys would go to a village and they would knock on a door. And when the door opened, they would ask, hey, do you want to hear about God? Do you want to hear the gospel? Do you want to hear about Jesus? If they said yes, they would go in, share with them. If they would say no, they would go to the next door and kind of knock, and if they let them in, they would go in and share. Well, in this one village, uh, no one let them in, and they had to go from that village to the next village, which was maybe like six to ten miles away. It was in the middle of winter, and as they're walking halfway through, it just started snowing, and, and the testimony goes that these were not just like, you know, New Jersey little snowflakes, right? These were in northern China, big snowflake, snowflakes, right? And, and, and quickly enough, they, they were covered up to their thighs in snow so that they could not continue any longer. And, and they shared, Peter and Barnabas shared, that they looked at each other and they said, you know what, I don't think we're going to make it tonight. And they just started praying, God, if it's your will... Would you make a way that we can continue serving? If it's not your will, would you just welcome us in heaven? And so they lay down with the expectation that they were going to freeze to death. And the next morning they woke up. And they got up. And this is one of the craziest testimonies I've heard. They got up and they were like, kind of like patting themselves like, oh my gosh, we're still, we're still alive. And then they realized on their clothing that there was... Like, like fur, animal fur of different kinds. And then they looked around where they had slept, and the, no, and the snow was pressed down, and there were footprints of different kinds of animals. 
Maybe raccoons. Maybe, I, don't, I don't know what animals they have in northern China. Elephants, I don't know. Raccoons and, and wolves and whatnot. And, and, they, and they pressed the snow around them. And, and then the footprints made a path that went straight into the forest. And what they shared in these churches was that they reckoned that God sometime in the night had done something like, uh, like, like to the forest animals. And they're like, gotcha, God. And they, and they came out, and they laid, and they shielded Peter and Barnabas so that they can continue the gospel ministry. Now, you're hearing this, and you're probably like, that's probably one of the, that's, that's such a preacher story, right? That's what preachers say. But, you know, as I read the Bible, this is something that we read all the time in Scripture, that God just does crazy things in nature. He would speak through a donkey. He would lead the people of God through a pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke in the daytime. Jesus shows up in the New Testament. You know, uh, he's walking on water. He's feeding the multitudes with a few loaves of bread and fish. And we think that's absolutely crazy, right? But what Paul teaches the, the church in Rome is that, no, 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 hold on a second. Do you know who God is? He is the Father. He is in control. There's this uh, pastor in New York. His name is uh, his Tim Keller, uh, and he, uh, he wrote this about miracles. Um, I wonder if we have this. Uh, this is what he says. Jesus used uh, miraculous power to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? See, we modern people, we think of miracles as the suspension of the uh, natural order, where God kind of like intervenes, steps, and says to all the gravitational laws, physical laws, hold on a second, I've got a plan. But what Tim Keller actually says, which I think is totally true and biblical, is, but Jesus meant them to be these miracles. He meant them to be the restoration of the natural order, not the suspension of them. But this idea that Christmas, that Emmanuel, God, came, and he made creation the way it was always supposed to be, man and God together, where God would just intervene and, and love on his people. And so let me just encourage you with one thing today. Um, you can pray to this God. You can expect miracles. Uh, my kids play soccer. Uh, I've been praying for some of the families that, my, uh, um, uh, that play soccer, you know, in the travel team. Uh, just quick testimony, Labor Day tournament, one of the, uh, the kids, a uh, rough team. We played against a rough team, a lot of red cards. And uh, the, the, the son, the captain, the son of the team manager, uh, he actually broke his leg. Uh, it was a fracture. And so I called the family up, Sandra, on a Tuesday. I'm like, hey, is Costa, is he okay? And she says, no, the leg is broken, and this is not good. He's done for the season. And I, uh, she asked me, hey, you're a pastor. Why don't you just pray for him? And I, and I prayed for him. I wasn't like praying for him like Korean-style long for like at 3 in the morning, some insane hour like that. I just lifted up a, a short prayer. I said, God, would you just bless this kid? Would you be glorified? She texts me, and she calls me the next Thursday, this past summer. And, and, he, and she was like, Hoon, this, this is absolutely crazy. But were you praying for my son? And I said, yeah, why? 
And they went back to the doctor, another x-ray, and, and it was completely healed. And the crazy thing was that on that Saturday, the son was playing on the travel, travel team, and all the other families are like, hold on a second, I thought he broke his leg. Why is he in the middle of the pitch playing? And she gets up, and, and she says, well, uh, you know this guy, Hoon? Uh, he was praying for him, and uh, I think that God healed his leg. And we think that's absolutely crazy. But I think it's something that we read in the Bible all the time. So no deprivation. There's no intimidation. There's no deprivation. The next two I'm going to kind of tackle together. Look at verse uh, 33. In verse 33, Paul continues, and this is what he says. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding, which basically means praying, who is praying for us. So I'm going to kind of lump these two together because in verse 33, he's talking about who's going to bring any accusation against God's people. In verse 34, who's going to bring any condemnation against God's people? And they're both rhetorical questions, and the answer is no one. Point number three, there is no more accusation. Point number four, there is no more condemnation. And what's the difference between, by, by the way, accusation and condemnation? The difference, how many of you have ever gotten a, a, a speeding ticket? How many of you have ever lied? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Uh, a speeding ticket, uh, you go before the judge, and the accusation is you broke the law. You were speeding. If the judge says, yeah, you did, and verdict, you're guilty, that's called condemnation. Accusation is a charge. Condemnation is a verdict. You're guilty. And what Paul now is saying to the church in Rome is, because of Jesus, because he came on Christmas, and he lived those 33 years, and then he died on the cross. You know what he did on the cross? He took away your sin. He became your sin. And all the wrath of God was just unleashed on the Son, so that now, for the people of God, there's no more accusation. He took it. There's no more condemnation. You know, what that means is, is for all of us in this place today, if you, if you claim Jesus um, as your Savior and you, and you follow him, no matter what your heart tells you, you're white as snow. There is no more sin on you. There's no more condemnation, which, is, which I think is absolutely crazy. I, uh, uh, anyone from Haiti here? Anyone from Haiti? Uh, I used to go to missions in Haiti, in a, in a spot in, uh, in, in uh, Port-au-Prince. Uh, there's a little district there called the City Soleil. Um, and the United Nations had called this place the most dangerous place on earth for four years running. 60% of the women there had actually been raped. Um, and it's, the reason why it's so dangerous is because it's run by gangs. And they have a lot of guns. And they kill people. One of the gang leaders, I heard that uh, the, some of the women in, in the village of City Soleil were doing uh, voodoo against him. He did not like it. He goes and he shoots five of these women in the head, 
that he runs out of bullets, he takes out his knife, and he beheads them in front of everyone. This is, and this was in the middle of daytime. There's no police, the most dangerous place on earth. And we've been doing missions there to one of the gangs there in this little area called TIT, which means Little Haiti. It's called, uh, the gang is called uh, Zerouge, the Red Eyes. Uh, they're called the Red Eyes because their eyes are always red. They, they deal drugs. And um, I was about to go on one of my trips, and, and, one of, and one of my kids, my oldest son, Sean, he, uh, yeah, a Sunday after church, he's like, he pulls on my shirt and says, Dad, can I talk to you? I need to talk to you. I was like, what? what's up? He's like, um, we were in front of all these people. He's like, can we go and talk in the basement? Right? I thought he did something terrible. I was like, did you kill somebody? Right? And I was like, I was so worried that maybe he broke some window. And so we go to the basement, and I'm like, what's up? Why are you so nervous? And... Uh, my son, he goes, uh, Dad, um, so you're going to go to, uh, you're going to go again this Tuesday? And I was like, yeah, you know that. And he said, uh, and this, is a, this is a dangerous place, right? They have guns. I was like, yeah, you know that. And he actually asked me, hey, is there a chance you may not come back? And I was like, and it's true. There was a chance. Um, Sometimes we, when we go in, we have to bring bulletproof vests. So I told him, yeah, there's a chance. But we have good relationships with the gangs. And, and then he said this. He kind of said, Dad, I, before you go, I just need to know one thing before you go. And I, I, I just kind of leaned in, and he said, Dad, this is the one thing I need to know before you go. And he just asked me this one question that really kind of pierced my heart. And he asked this. He asked, that, Dad... Have I been a good son? If you know me, I love my kids. Like with Sean, I've held him as he fell asleep for the first eight years of his life every night. Every day, I probably said to my son, Sean, I love you like 30 times a day minimum. He knows that. But right before going to Haiti, he, he kind of like, you know, he stabs me this, with this question. Have I been a good son? And I'm thinking to myself, have you not seen all these years I've been with you? I fell asleep with you. I've, I've held you. I've loved you. I've told you I love you. And yet I realized that even in his own heart, there was still a little bit of a suspicion. And I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know what, God? I have the same suspicion with you. Whenever I do something stupid, whenever I sin... I always wonder, God, do you still love me? And I'm wondering if other people in this room kind of like can, can kind of sync with that. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Because this is what the gospel says. There's no more accusation. There's no more condemnation. But something in the back of our heart always wonders before God. God, have I been a good son? Have I been a, a good daughter? And the gospel actually says, no, we failed. But Jesus was perfect. And when he died on that cross, you know the word justified, when Paul says in verse 33, there's no accusation because it is God who justifies. Justification is this huge theological word. Uh, and yet this one friend of mine, he explained it to me really simply. What is justification? 
Justification is this word that means something like this. Just as if I'd never sinned. Just as if I'd lived a perfect life. That's justification. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's just as if I'd lived a perfect life because he didn't give it to me. And it's just as if I'd never sinned because he took the accusation and the condemnation. So that, you know, can I just encourage you guys on this you know, Sunday before Christmas? Listen, when God sees you, you're forgiven. You're blameless. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the sins in the past, the sins today. It doesn't matter the sins that you're, you're going to commit maybe in 10 years that you, that you don't even know about. The gospel declaration over you is the father loves his son, his daughter. There's no more accusation. There's no more condemnation. And last point, verse 35 and 37 and 39, Paul asks this last question. What shall separate us? What shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes, all, he goes through this incredible list and he says, Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, danger or sword? Right? All these circumstantial things. Because sometimes I, I think that we look at our circumstances uh, as an indicator of how much God loves us. If things are going good, oh, God loves us. If things are kind of going down the tubes, it's like, oh, God doesn't love me as much. But Paul says, no, 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 that's not it. Nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. And then verses 37 and onwards, he says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things uh, to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of, of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's, that's absolutely insane. Nothing will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Um, last, last little testimony. I, uh, again, so encouraged by the Chinese church. I, I, I heard that in this one instance, uh, there was an underground church worship service. And the, uh, the police had heard about this church, which, is, which was an illegal congregation. And they stormed this, this area, this cave that they were meeting. And, uh, and, and some 600 believers, they were, just, they were just running away, running for their life. And they, and they found the pastor. And, and they basically imprisoned him. And they told him, listen, give us the list of every single person in your church. Every single name. We're going to find them. Give us a list. Give us the membership role. And, uh, and, the, and this pastor... Uh, he would just say, no, I'm not giving you squat. I'm not giving you anything, nothing. And they started torturing him for days. And, you know, he's all beat up. He's all bloodied. And ask him again, give us the name of, of the people in your church. He still doesn't give up anything. And this is what they did. They took an ice pick. You guys know what an ice pick is? It's kind of like a, like a long just piece of metal that they used to like, break chunks of ice. And they, uh, they held him down. And they poked little holes all over his body, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, just little holes, so that his whole body was just being covered in these like little holes, and little drops of blood were seeping out of his whole body. But that wasn't it. 
They, they threw him in, in this dark, humid cell. And then the testimony goes that the pastor heard this little, kind of this little metal gate opening from somewhere. And then he heard this. And they were filling this cell with, with a ton of, uh, of rats who had been starved. And they, and they smelled the blood. And they would go up to him and, and try to eat him alive. And, and so what he had to do is he had to just kind of like kick him, kick him away. And this, this carried on for seven days. He was not even allowed to, you know, to, to lie down. Because if he did, he'd be eaten alive. So he leaned against a wall for seven days, kicking rats away from him. Exhausted. They would bite him and he would scream. And then they brought him out after seven days and told and they just asked him again, give us the list. And he, just, and he kept saying no. Absolutely crazy. And then they, they found his son. They brought him before him. The son recognizes the bloody pulp of a dad that he has, and the officer pulls out a gun and puts it right at the temple of his son and says, listen, give us a list of the people in your church or we'll, we'll shoot your son. Uh, if, uh, how many of you guys are dads in this place? Like, I'm a dad. He He caved. And I get it. I, I don't want to see my own son's head blown off in front of me, right? And, and so the dad's like, stop. I'll, I will. I'll, I'll give you the list. The son, he starts screaming. He says, dad, don't tell him anything. He starts like fighting back. Don't tell him any, don't tell him the people in the church because he knew what was going to happen to these Christians. And, and, and the son, this is what he says according to the testimonies because they both made it. The son says, crazy line, he says, don't tell him anything because when I get to heaven, he was expecting to be shot. When I get to heaven, I want to be able to tell all the angels and God that my dad did not give up the reason i share this is because i think when i when i heard this testimony i think this little child he got romans 8 under his belt nothing is going to separate him from the love of christ that he has no difficulty no persecution nor no death is going to separate. In fact, the Bible says that because Jesus died on the cross, sin has been defeated, death has been defeated, and the little child knew that as soon as he died, he would be in the presence of God himself in his resurrected body. Now, I share all these testimonies, no, uh, no accusation, no deprivation, no uh, condemnation, no intimidation, no separation. And, I, you know, and the question really is, how do I know this is true? How do I know that this idea that God is our Father is absolutely true? How do I know this? You know, um, this is Christmas, and uh, the story of Christmas is Jesus came. He, he lived 33 years. 
Uh, he came knowing that he was going to be crucified. You know, um, throughout his whole life when Jesus was on earth, training his disciples and blessing people, he kept referring to God as Father. Just call him Dad. Call him Father. And Jesus himself would, would pray to God by calling him Father. He, he taught his disciples, when you pray, right, what's the famous prayer? Our Father. But you know, there's a, there's, there's a point in Jesus' life when Jesus himself stopped calling God his Father. On the cross, right before he died, the last words of Jesus were, in the Aramaic were, were, were this, Eloi, Eloi, lama baksab, I forget. Thank you. Which basically means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that point, the last breath, he stopped calling him Father. He just called him God. And the reason why he did that is because on the cross, he earned the right for us to be called children of God. He gave up his sonship so that we could gain the fatherhood of God. It's not based on your and my ability and goodness or badness. Jesus pulled it off for all of us. And based on this, Paul says, Romans, and don't forget, no intimidation, no deprivation, no accusation, no condemnation, no separation. Jesus pulled it off, all of it, on the cross. And all you have to do is believe. Let's pray. God, I uh, just thank you that on Christmas uh, you sent your son so that through his life and death we could call you Abba. Holy Spirit, I, I, I pray right now for an encouragement upon the people that you called by name into this place. And Lord God, these five points would translate into more than just maybe a mental exercise, God, but that your very spirit would fill them now with that joy of the kingdom that is really uh, inexplicable, God, that you would fill them with an encouragement, with a joy, with a desire to know you, with, with salvation. There is nothing that we can do that would separate us from your love. You are in control. We can ask you for help. There's no more accusation, no more condemnation. And because of Jesus, if we ever ask the question, have we been, have I been a good son? You look back into us with your eyes and you say to each one of us, you've been the best son. Holy Spirit, would you make Christmas real to all of us this year? You are with us. You are Emmanuel. 